Tonight we are going to try to get you back to your timeline. Uh, we have taken a, a little aside from that to uh, work through some aspects of uh, what John wanted to communicate in terms of some of the major players uh, in church history as well as our future history. Uh, we are in uh, Revelation. We are coming into the last round of God's wrath. We are setting the stage for the very end. Uh, we are going to find some aspects of uh, all of our timelines in play from here on out. And they're going to be interacting. And so we want to uh, uh, review our timeline very quickly uh, by simply writing it out and, uh, and proceeding from there. Uh, I'm not going to take you backwards beyond the cross, although... All these timelines do go back that far, except, of course, uh, for the church age, which uh, begins at the cross, well, really, a few couple uh, months after the cross, uh, <laughs> Pentecost. And uh, we proceed forward to the rapture. So you know where the rapture's at, and uh, you can see it's midpoint. Obviously, this is 2,000 years, and this is going to be about seven years. So half the board is going to be committed to the last seven years, so it's not to scale. Um, otherwise, this would have to go way around the building, and so we're not going to do that. Um, but just so you can get a, a, a little bit of a, of a perspective there. And uh, we also took the time to then look at unique people of God. After the church is gone, we have the introduction of the 144,000. I better not write that quite so small. And we have studied their work, and again... Uh, we see their ministry going, especially to the midpoint of the uh, seven years of God's wrath. And so the 144,000 are there. They participate in the resurrection. So we have this untold number uh, that arrives in heaven way back in uh, chapter 7 of Revelation. We then have this arrival that we looked at last week of the 144,000 arriving in heaven uh, as a resurrected group. Uh, at that point. And so we uh, see the evidence of God working through his people. Remember what is so unique about the 144,000 is that they were the only group who have seen the wrath of God poured out on men. Very unique group of redeemed people. Uh, no one else in history really has seen that. And it's evident in their song that we looked at. And so this is our line of God's people uh, since the cross. And of course, uh, this is our earth. Timeline. We looked at uh, previously at. I'm not going to use that very much. Uh, we looked also in chapter uh, 12 and 13 and looked at some of the uh, uh, timeline of the nations. And of course, that's going to take you all the way back to Egypt, but we're not really uh, delving into that tonight. And so, here in this time period of the cross, we have Rome, the Roman Empire. Uh, we'll put it Roman. And that is the. Uh, Empire that was. And so, uh, remember, John was told that uh, five have fallen, and so they are off our board. Uh, one that one is. And so, what the, he was told is that one is. He is then told that there will be a seventh uh, out here somewhere. And then there will be an eighth, who is of the seven, not necessarily the seventh, but is of all of these, and yet is is noticeably different, the different one. 
a different nation. And we, of course, were able to identify the seventh as coming out of the Roman, having elements of it to go along with Daniel's vision of uh, the ten toes, well, actually Nebuchadnezzar's vision that Daniel interpreted. And so we took that seventh head and we saw that in meeting all the requirements that that was the United Kingdom. Met all the requirements of that description, uh, including authority over Israel uh, and including all the elements of Rome and being one of ten major nations uh, that were derived out of the Roman Empire. And so the United Kingdom, but it also had influence globally. And we saw that eighth different head, which correlated with the little horn, little not being small, but young. Okay? Um, And so uh, I still uh, do that to Andrew whenever he shows up. Oh, there's little Andrew. Okay, he's a big guy. He's taller than me. You know, he's still in high school, but he's little Andrew because his dad was Andrew. So he's little Andrew, but he's not small. He's just young. And so uh, we have the United Kingdom followed by uh, the United States, the USA. But both of those are really, um, again, subservient to another system that started back here uh, during World War II or early in the Napoleonic Wars and really flexing its muscle in the World Wars. And uh, that would be the national banking system. Let's just say national bankers. And those would represent the nations. And so as the United Kingdom is subservient to a private enterprise called the uh, Bank of England, (laughs) and USA is subservient to a private enterprise, not a government agency, called the Federal Reserve, and uh, we can go through region after region on our global, and we will find that these national bankers who are all interrelated have pretty much consolidated almost all of the world uh, into its national banking system. So there's a National Bank of India, there's a National Bank of Australia, New Zealand, there's a national, and so the Euro uh, and its national banking system, and so we have really pulled in almost all of them. Uh, There's a couple of holdouts, and we're uh, able to crush them whenever we want financially. Uh, I think that's really what the point of 2008 was, was to prove that to the, to particularly the Chinese, uh, that we could just pull a rug out from their economy anytime we wanted to, um, by simply conjuring up a, uh, <laughs> a crisis that didn't really exist. It really didn't. Um, it, we, we've, you talk about all the foreclosures. Um, the amounts that they were talking about whereby the government took over some of our uh, private banks um, was really pretty typical of what they are capable of, uh, of covering in terms of losses. And so it was a conjured system. So we have the, 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 the nations, and we're going to find them really coming under the brunt of the wrath of God following the rapture in this seven-year period. And so we have, we have seen the development that the USA fits all the requirements that we saw in Revelation 13, that we saw in Daniel, uh, that we saw both in Nebuchadnezzar's, but also in the little horn, uh, the young nation that supplants three other nations to make room for itself. Uh, and we, we have seen them fulfill a lot of prophetic material already, uh, including uh, big, the big three, um, of course, which is the atomic weapon described as fire being 
brought down from heaven, uh, and uh, the talking pictures, uh, and, of course, the uh, digital economy. So they were able to do those big three. They've already been done. So Revelation 13, we're really just waiting for enforcement of them really flexing their muscle and proving that you can't live on this planet without those. And uh, we've already seen the, the muscle that, that, that the, obviously the atomic weapon gives you, say, a huge muscle. Um, even those proliferated in other nations, um, we're still the only ones that have used it. And that was the description in Revelation 13. So they're the nations. So we have God's people, we have the nations, um, we have stuff going on in heaven, and uh, we've noticed the new songs, and that's the key there, right? We've been talking about the new singing. So in heaven, we have a new song, back here at the cross. And so when Christ arrives, we have the new song, the song of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And so we have the song of the Lamb at Christ's ascension. Um, We then have... That song apparently is sung. Uh, we have a, not a replacement song, but an added song, which is the song of the 144,000. So we have a new song here in heaven upon their arrival. And uh, Bill asked me last week about, it says that no one could learn it but them. And we think, well, we have the words right there. How can no one learn it but them? Uh, it's not necessarily that you can't, don't know the tune or don't know the words, it's that you haven't lived what they lived to be able to sing that song. You, uh, um, what do they say? You have to go through some really hard times to be able to sing the blues. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and that's kind of the idea there, is that they can sing that song because they've learned its content in their experience. And so um, that's why that new song. And so we have this evidence of people arriving. Uh, we have the... Mary's Supper of the Lamb here. And uh, a lot of excitement. But we also see now uh, that once we arrive there, there's some interesting things happening. Um, We have uh, some judgments. And I'm going to put them in orange, which I don't have over there. I have all these colors. You guys did a great job making sure I had lots of different things. And so we had the, the uh, remember the bold judgments were going on back here. Not really judgments, but consequences. The bulls were being poured out from this point. I put that over the cross. It should be. Can't see orange. Oh, orange is terrible. All right. Let's see here. Light blue won't help. Mint green won't help. Okay, we'll just go with brown. So we have the bull judgments. The four horsemen. Remember? Uh, horse. I don't know how to spell that. No, I do. And we said the four horsemen were not the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but of the church age. These are ongoing things, and that's the symbol of horsemen in, by, in the bib- biblical language of going to and fro. We found the martyrdom of the saints being the fifth one, and then we saw we were waiting for the sixth tier and the seventh. And that's all that's in our future. And then we saw, of course, the trumpet judgments. We've already seen them coming out of... Boy, I am reversing letters all the time. The trumpets being poured out on the earth. And so we found the seven of those oh, four, five, being poured out. All in the first half. Yes. You're right. 
Right, the bulls are tonight. See, I'm trying to jump ahead of my message. The seals, thank you. Seals, sorry. So we found the seal judgments, then the trumpet judgments. Those are all completed. And so we're coming into a time. Now remember, right before the trumpet judgment, there was this offering uh, up to God in his temple in heaven. And that was uh, to justify what was coming. And last week we kind of ended with that in the reaping of the earth. And uh, there's been a lot of conjecture about what that means in the reaping of the earth. So let's go to Revelation and uh, chapter 17. I'm sorry, not chapter 17. Of chapter 14, Revelation chapter 14. And uh, remember, we have uh, the 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 presentation that we're waiting for the last woe. We're waiting for the last expression of the wrath of God, and we've kind of been on hold, and we've been kind of stuck right here to review the history of Israel from. Uh, the fall of Jerusalem all the way through. We have looked at the history of the nations a little more. So we've been, we've been suspended here in our timeline for quite a while. And so in terms of biblical material, we have a lot of material here in chapter um, 10, 11, 12, 13, and now in the first half of 14. So now we're finally into uh, what all has been building to. And that's this final burst of the wrath of God that's going to be poured out. Uh, remember, pretty much all the redeemed now are in heaven. Uh, Israel has been uh, abused. They have been betrayed um, by their false Messiah. Uh, and he is breaking the treaty at the halfway point. And so he's going to violate that. Uh, the way we find that out is in Daniel. Daniel describes that, that he'll have a seven-year treaty and halfway through, three and a half years through, he will violate that treaty and he will break it himself. And he will set himself up as God in the temple. And so in this three and a half year period, we have uh, not so much a, an antagonism, but a peace. And in that context, you can see how quickly and easily, even with all the vicious stuff happening of the seven trumpet judgments, that the people of Israel are going to build their temple. They're going to put that thing up, and they're in a hurry. I mean, you're talking months, uh, not years, to, for them to construct that. They have the materials ready. They are raring to go. And so uh, all they need is half the Temple Mount. Okay, we've talked about that extensively in the past, and that's ready and waiting for them. And uh, it's just a matter of that tree to enable them to have access to it. And so uh, we're looking at a time period in these first three and a half Years where there's still the permission of religion uh, in whatever expression. And so you have the Jews reinstituting the sacrifices. And that's huge. Um, realize they haven't had sacrifices for all the years since 70 AD. They have not had sacrifices all this time. Well, the law requires them that if they reject the Messiah, they're left with the sacrifices. And to cover sin, and without that, they're really illegitimate of their own book. And so they're looking forward to this day, and they're preparing the, the uh, red heifer to purify this site and to uh, construct this and to initiate animal sacrifices. And so there's still religious activity going on right here um, of all brands except for the true one. Because, and, well, there's 144,000 doing their thing and the two witnesses. Um, but 
there's a proliferation of this. And I like to give the comparison. When bad things happen, people turn to God. Do you notice that? In Haiti, uh, that earthquake happened, and um, all those tent cities, people were going through there and trying to find all of the voodoo guys. And they were killing them. I mean, they were murdering them. All those practitioners of voodoo, because they blamed them for the earthquake. And then the churches, um, including Pastor LaPointe and other churches, just exploded. Um, that little church went from 40 to 250. And uh, so we built a building for 250. Um, but what happens after the emergency is over? Well, they all contract back down. Now we're back down to that. Well, they're a little bit more than 40, but um, they contract back. And because everyone wants to search for God in the midst of their uh, uh, crisis, and then once the crisis is somewhat over, we don't have any use for Him. And that's what's going to happen here. In the midst of the crisis of the sixth seal, you're going to find a lot of people turning to religion. And facilitated by the man of sin who's going to misrepresent himself, I think in many ways, and, uh, and including for the Jewish faith. And so down here, in our, in our, this red line represents our false religion. Why red is because this gal we're going to be talking about in a little bit is uh, going to be drunk with the blood of the saints. So we're going to use that. And so we have false religion all the way along. And I want you to notice where she is at. She is riding, it says, the beast, which represented the nations. And so these nations have been contingent upon and subservient to false religion. And uh, that false religion has really directed it. And we can see that not only going back, we can see it in Egypt, uh, we can, and all the way forward. We can see it, and we might say, well, these are secular, but they aren't secular. They are driven and controlled and directed by false religion. And uh, we even see it in Rome, uh, the Roman religion, and how much effect it had on the governance. And uh, one of the things that we see at our end times that we're going to see is that they are going to turn on her. This is not a cooperative relationship. The nations don't like the influence of religion of any kind. Uh, they don't like having to bend the knee to it. And by the way, uh, we, in, in more recent history that we're a little more familiar with, uh, we, we hopefully know a little bit of the history of the medieval period, right? In, in Europe, and who really decided things. Uh, and that was the Pope. He got to establish emperors. He, he could excommunicate people. Pope wielded incredible political power. And remember, how many of you read The Three Musketeers? Okay. Why were those people fighting each other? Who were they representing? The three musketeers were representing who? King and queen? Who were all those other people they were in all those sword fights with representing? The church. So there's been animosity between these two all through history. But religion has been able to give direction to this. And when did that start to deteriorate? Do you remember? Why did the United Kingdom throw off the Church of Rome? 
over the matter of matrimony and he won an heir and this gal isn't giving him an a, a heir for the throne. He wants to divorce her, get somebody else, King Henry, uh, the eighth, right? And he just says, well, the only way I can really do this is to divorce myself from Rome first. And I'm going to kick out the Pope. I'm going to kick out the Catholics. And uh, because they had that kind of influence, that they could tell kings what to do. And so when you read in here that, the, that this woman of false religion was riding the beast, and we're going to talk a lot more about that here in a little bit, um, that's the relationship between religion and it has been deteriorating significantly since then. And I think it's significant, this break in the United Kingdom, and it's also significant the break we've seen in our lifetime in the United States of divorcing government from religion. And that's in the last generation. We have reinterpreted the founding fathers that when they said separation of church and state, that it meant the church doesn't have any authority with regard to the state, which isn't what the original founders articulated in their letters and speeches, but the way they wrote it has been interpreted that, no, you don't have any influence in politics. You're the church. You're not allowed to have any influence. We have already initiated the divorce, the throwing off of religion of any form. And uh, right now, uh, you know, what's the statement? It's the Muslim, it's, a, it's not a, it's a political system, but it's a religious system. And we don't like that. We don't like religion driving government because we have been trained that that always is going to lead to problems. Um, but that's been historically the case for all of the history of the nations. Just different religions have driven the governments. Uh, not very well, and I'm not saying it's, a, it's the preferred circumstance, but uh, that has been the case nonetheless. So we come now into this period. The nations are under judgment. The woman who rides the beast is getting ready to come under judgment as well. Uh, and in the midst of this, though, before we get into these specifically, we find God preparing them for that judgment. That brings us to uh, what's going to happen in chapter 15. So, we have the two reapings of the earth, and I can't explain that very well, what's involved in that. Uh, we have the description of them, uh, but its purpose is to demonstrate the, the justice of God and what's about to come. We've had seven trumpets, we've had seven thunders. Seven thunders, we weren't allowed to know what they said. But we now have seven bold judgments. The last woe on the earth. And so let's look at their institution in chapter 15. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great marvelous seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And that's where we're at in our timeline. So we're at the halfway point, and we're going to see this is the final expression of God's wrath. We're going to jump past. We already studied the song last week. So let's jump forward a little bit. And verse 5, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. 
The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now, when we think of glory, we often think of it in a very positive light, don't we? We think, oh, you know, in fact, we'll even say, you know, oh, glory to God. Uh, is that what the angels saying? Glory to God in the highest. And so that must be something associated with really good things like the birth of the Messiah. And that is true. Um, but that's only half of the glory of God. In fact, when we look at the history of glory in relationship to humans, what do we find? <laughs> we find that it's a frightening thing. The, the glory of God cannot be endured by men. Remember the Shekinah glory on the earthly temple um, that Israel built, and tabernacle, we'll start with the tabernacle. The tabernacle in the wilderness, Moses was given instruction, you're, you're building it in accordance to what you saw in heaven, and there it is. And once it was completed, they had purified it with sacrifices, and then it says, the glory, the Shekinah glory of the Lord filled it. And immediately, because the glory of the Lord filled it, no priest could stay there. They were driven out. No human could endure it. And so, uh, very similarly to that expression of the glory of God that is so pure, so righteous, so holy, that, that no creature can really endure it. We can't uh, look upon it. We can't be in its presence. And it drives us away, really, because it's so intense. And so all the priests had to leave that glory, uh, and we don't think of glory like that, as driving us away, as glory being expression of God's wrath, of His purity, of His judgment, that this is part of God's glory as well. Not just His love, but also His judgment. So here, very similarly, this immediately should bring back memory of the tabernacle and the temple in Solomon's day when the glory of the Lord filled it, and everyone had to leave. Everyone had to run away from it. They couldn't look. They couldn't bear it. And now that glory is filling not an earthly temple, but the heavenly temple up here. And it's driving out everyone. Not just humans, but no one. No creature, no angel, no one can endure being in the presence of this kind of glory. Look at it. It says... Um, it was filled with smoke from the glory of the Lord, His power. No one was able to enter the temple till all the plagues. Till, so as God's wrath builds and builds and builds, is now really at a crescendo. It's at its height, getting ready to be dumped out on the earth. Um, no one can endure it. No one can stand. And so we're outside the temple, and, and you might say, well, where do you go? And you're up there, and, and uh, we're in the presence of God. But this glory of His judgment is real. And it is intense. And so it builds here, uh, right after that new song and the arrival, we have the glory of the Lord in the temple. The smoke of His glory. So we have this, this smoke filling the temple area and it's so intense that it drives out everyone from the temple. I don't know how to construct the temple I'm just going to put an altar there. And in heaven. Powerful. And so the anticipation now has been building, building. We had this huge pause, 
to explain all of this. And now the, we have just even a further building of what's coming. The anticipation is almost, let's get to the next chapter. Let's get there. And, we're, and we need to. Uh, the chapter division here is kind of strange. Why we have a chapter division between this and its outworking, I'm not sure. But the whole purpose of John is to build the expectation that this is it for the nations. This is it for these guys. For these two timelines, they're going to be coming to a screeching halt very, very soon. Because of the glory of God. And just judgment, wrath, is nothing God is ashamed of or embarrassed of, and neither should we ever be ashamed or embarrassed of the fact that God is a righteous judge. It is to his glory. So God will be glorified in heaven with the redeemed, absolutely. But let there be no mistake, God is glorified in the lake of fire when people are under judgment equally. He is equally glorified in hell. That is an expression and demonstration of his glory just as much because judgment is just as glorifying as redemption. And so there is no benefit to God to have more people in heaven than in hell. Um, he's glorified in either place. Everyone will bow the knee to God, either as their judge or as their savior. Um, for God, it doesn't matter. He'll be glorified one way or the other no matter what. What matters is for us. <laughs> How will we glorify God? Will we glorify God by being under eternal judgment? Or will we glorify God by being among the redeemed? God doesn't need us in heaven to be glorified. So here we go. And all the building up has occurred. And we finally come to chapter 16 and the trumpets. I'm sorry, the, the bowls. I'm getting all my pictures um, confused. Verse six, chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And of course, because it's coming from the temple and no one is in the temple, we know whose voice this is, right? The voice of God ultimately gives the decree. It's time. No delay. Um, let's finish this. And we have very similarly um, these poured out. So let's look at them. Uh, tonight, and uh, I'm going to erase these timelines because they're not going to make it that far. And I'm just going to take that one off too so I can write, have a place to write. So let's look at these judgments of God. First bowl. Bowl number one. And we're going to have several of them in rapid fire, very much like we had with the seals, very much like we had with the trumpets, they're going to be categorized very similarly to that. Uh, verse 2, the first bowl first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Now, because we've done all this work in Revelation 13, we now know what this is. Do you see why it was necessary to do all this before we get to the bowls? And so, now we find that... Um, the mark, which is how you lived, remember, that's how you, 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 you couldn't live without the mark. You couldn't buy, you couldn't sell, uh, you just couldn't engage in the economy without that mark of the beast, remember, on your back of your hand or your forehead. 
And uh, we talked about that a little bit. Now the mark, instead of equaling life, it no longer equals life. Now it equals, the mark equals pain. It equals pain and death. And so we have this horrible suffering, um, or sore is the word there, that uh, is, comes upon everybody with that mark on them who worship the image. Remember, the image is the talking pictures. Um, and so uh, we have a... Scott's not talking to me, but we have a moving picture. <laughs> so we have those, and we don't think anything of it. But if you don't have the mark, if you have the mark, if you're worshiping the image, those two aspects of the beast's activity, then uh, you're going to have these horrible sores on you. And again, very similar to how the trumpets, remember that people wanted to die and couldn't? And very similarly now, on this next ray, uh, 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 array of, of, of wrath, we have these severe sores, people <laughs> wanting to and couldn't find relief at all. Second bowl comes out, verse 3. And uh, it is poured out on the sea, became blood as, a, as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. We saw a third before, right? Under the uh, trumpets, we saw a third. Now, everything's dead. So there is no fish in the sea. There are none at all. And so we have it poured out on the sea. All sea life is over. So, we can see the moderation in the trumpets, that it's so much percent. And now, it's just total devastation. The guy's just coming in and saying, you know, you didn't respond and you didn't repent when I did a, a percentage of everything, so now you're just going to lose all of it. We come to the third bold judgment. It says, verse 4, the third is chapter 16, the third uh, angel poured out his bowl on the rivers, springs of water, and they became blood. Again, um, very similar to the trumpet. In fact, a lot of people want to correlate them as the same judgments and just say they are relating the same thing. But the intensity is much more. So now all your fresh water is gone. That's pretty scary. You're drinking blood. That's your only liquid. At this point, the angel of the water said, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And this is kind of an unusual situation. So we have um, all of this being poured out that these are the ones who have killed saints and shed their blood and prophets. And remember, that goes way back, not just in this first three and a half years of the, of the wrath, but it goes all the way back, all the way back. Their entire history, going back all the way to Egypt, um, they have consistently slaughtered God's prophets um, that were sent to them. And, and this has been the condition. 
uh, particularly of false religion, but also of the nations who are directed by false religion to be the, the, the animal that it's going to use to implement its will. And so, it includes the church age. Remember all those martyrs who are asking the question at the fifth seal, how long, O Lord, until you judge? Well, it's righteous. It's just. Don't feel sorry for these people. They've earned this. It's, it's well past time for them to uh, reap what they have sown. And so uh, we've, we've gone through it. And then we have verse 7. I heard another from the altar. Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. This reiteration that uh, there is... Uh, a valid, a validity to what God is doing. He's not doing this indiscriminately. He's not doing this because he's mean-spirited. Um, he's not doing this out of a rash anger because he's having a temper tantrum. This is a very deliberate, um, very uh, uh, delayed, and uh, now uh, fully engaged wrath. And uh, we can say, oh, this is a horrible place to live. And it is. It is. And I would contend, to some degree, it's almost worse than eternity. Um, hell is not described as a place of God's wrath. There is judgment there, but not wrath. And I think we know the difference between those two, don't we? As parents, um, I'll, have, I'll get angry. Right? And we'll, the kids just, and we like to shake them and whoop them and, and, I don't know, throw them out of the house, uh, you know, whatever, because they're not obeying. And that's wrath. And then we settle down a little bit and we realize um, what they did was wrong and they need to be punished and uh, we're going to implement that, but I'm not going to be red-faced while I'm doing it. But I'm still going to implement whatever the discipline was. And so you're still going to, you know, be grounded for the next 14 years, you know, whatever it is. Um, you're still going to implement that because it's right. But we can, we can tell the difference between them. And that's the difference between what's going on on earth and what's going on for eternity. Eternity has been established. But this is God's expressing wrath. And once it's done, it's over. Wrath is out, it's completed, and now there's almost this deep breath of now we're just going to give people what they deserve. Um, and I don't think we understand that our sin and the sin of the world, uh, what it does to God in terms of anger. Of when you think of all that he has provided for mankind um, and all that he has given us, most of which is tied up in the idea of him, of us being his image. Uh, and we don't value it and recognize how uh, incredibly uh, horrific it is for us to um, abuse that special thing that God has given to us. Uh, we make light of it. We, we make it insignificant. Um, but I don't know about you, but when I give people something and they throw it in my face or abuse it or waste it, it makes me mad. Well, God's not that different. 
other than the fact that he has stored it up for one day. And now we're into it. And so, we have this declaration. Now we have the fourth one, verse 8. And again, much like what we saw with the trumpets, fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, power was given to scorch men with fire, men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and did not give him glory. And uh, so, after the third one, we have the angelic host saying that God is just. He is just in what he's doing. Uh, after the fourth bowl, which is this uh, searing heat. So, yes, I believe in global warming. <laughs> okay? Oh, I believe in it because God's going to implement it. And uh, the searing, searing, let's spell this right. And we have kind of an opportunity now to just sit back and say, okay, how am I going to respond? They've got physical pain if they've taken the mark. Resources for the foundation of life is water, and they're going to have to drink blood. The angels say that's just the right thing to do because of what they've been doing for all this time. And now uh, they have this searing heat upon them, uh, and so they're in a state of suffering. And we are waiting to see, well, are they going to... uh, do anything about it. No. In fact, they cursed God. They blasphemed his name. Uh, they recognize it's interesting because the, the terminology in verse 9 is that people knew that God was responsible for it. It's not that they were just cursing God out of habit, but they knew that God controlled these things. So this isn't global warming because we burned too many fossil fuels. People knew, they understood, this was supernatural. This is the work of God. They knew it. And yet, instead of submitting or humbling themselves or repenting or being sorry or begging for his help, they cursed him. And the evidence here in this verse is that they knew where this was coming from. They didn't like it. Their response was very much like the spoiled child to a parent who disciplines them. I hate you! (laughs) That's an unrepentant child. And this is an unrepentant world. I hate you. I don't think what... Now, the angels have just said it's just. The world has concluded God is unjust. They're blaspheming God and saying he is unjust while the angelic community is emphasizing the justice of God. And uh, the fifth bull completes our first set and we're going to look at the last set because it really sets up the battle of Armageddon uh, that we're going to study in, in one, two, three weeks. Next week is our baccalaureate service. The week after that, I'll be on vacation. And the week after that, we'll be at the battle of Armageddon. Okay? And so, the fifth bowl, and it's kind of weird, after dealing with searing heat, we have penetrating darkness. So dark that people 
gnash in pain over it, grinding them their teeth. Very similar again to what we saw in Egypt. Um, and so the uh, verse 10 is where I'm at. Is the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast? His kingdom became full of darkness. They gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. And so this is limited to the realm of the beast, which as we see has encompassed much of the na- many of the nations. Um, I would contend that the darkness is not going to be over uh, all the earth, but over that which is the majority of it that is under the control of the beast, uh, of the nation, particularly the, the U.S., the national bankers. And so it might be a good time to go to Russia, China, whoever's not under their auspices at that point. And so we have now a, a little bit of a break here because there's going to be a change of purpose. We're going to start now. Uh, the last two are going to set up the final engagement um, before the kingdom of God is established on the earth. And I just want you to focus on what we're hearing. Is anyone getting saved? Is anyone repenting? Is anyone sorry? Is anyone looking to God in any positive way at all? No. And again, just like in the trumpet judgments, I find no evidence that anyone, except for the 144,000, because of a unique relation, anyone from this point on ever comes to Christ. And it's time we wake up and realize that this happens today, there is no second chance. This is the day of salvation. There is no later. There is no repentance here. Men are going to say God is unjust. And uh, they're going to curse him. They're going to know that he's pouring this out on them because they deserve it. Um, and they're still going to curse him. doesn't matter. Um, they're just not going to repent. It's not going to come. And it's going to get almost ridiculous when we look at the destructive nature of what's coming. Um, but much like the seals and to some degree the trumpets, we have the sixth and seventh one uh, set apart from the other five. From what I can tell, these are just right on the heels of each other. And then um, there seems to be a little time frame because we have them referencing all the way back to the first one. You see that in the fifth? What are they complaining about? They're not just complaining about darkness. They're also complaining about the sores and everything else. They're just complaining about the whole five things. And much like the seals where we saw a group of five and then a big gap in time and then the last two, I would contend the first five bulls are in pretty rapid order on top of each other. And then we're going to have some time, not thousands of years, just a few months, Uh, And then we're going to find the last two setting the stage for the next big event between uh, interaction between Jesus Christ and the earth. So in the midst of this, we're going to see the sixth and seventh seal. We saw the rapture happen. Now between the sixth and seventh uh, bowl, we're going to see, after the seventh bowl, we're going to see the the battle of Armageddon. And here after the, the sixth trumpet, before the seventh, we found the new song of the 144,000. And so we have this consistent rhythm going on in Revelation. And so we have these five categorized together, 
we have this interruption, and it seems like the last two aren't very big. They're more geographical. They're setting the stage for something to come. And it doesn't seem like they're... I mean, a lot, a lot of people are dying or anything like that. And so that's what we're seeing um, is this is going on for three and a half years. And then the last two are really happening right at the end in preparation for the next interchange between Jesus Christ and the earth. Comparable to here after the trumpets, comparable to here after the seals. Okay? All right, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for uh, your word and uh, its uh, powerful statement of your righteousness and of the judgment to come. And Lord, we know this is nothing we want to fool around with. This is nothing that we wish on our worst enemy. Uh, and this is uh, nothing that we want to take lightly and uh, just brush off. But uh, these are serious things that we need to take to heart and recognize that when we engage the world, uh, there is an urgency to rescue them. As long as it rescue them, because we know that all there is is pain and judgment waiting for them without Christ. This Lord, give us that heart to see their need and to be willing to a sacrifice for ourselves to see that need being met and that they might hear the message of Christ and have the opportunity to repent today uh, knowing that there will not be repentance tomorrow in that day of your wrath. We praise in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.